Welcome to the Leela Life Show. I'm Linda Tate Andrews, your host, Thrive Coach and Consultant, bringing you curious conversations with our peers and experts on integrating consciousness into the modern world. Tune in regularly to expand. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Leela Life Show. This is your host, Linda Andrews, and I am so excited for my special guest today, Ganga Devi. She is a regenerative counselor and astrologer. Ganga, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Linda. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, gosh. Uh, so we, we will dive in because that's what I like to do best. Yes, it's a swimmer pun. Um, the, the main question here is, what does integrating consciousness into the modern world mean to you? Amazing. So I love this question because um, there's so many directions that it can go. And um, so I think it's a really amazing question to prompt, obviously, for a podcast where you're pulling from so many different um, sources. And I, I, I think about, I write a lot about, and I, and I talk a lot about consciousness. But what I found um, as I move through the world and as I move through my own life is that there's so many different ways to understand and define consciousness. Um, so I guess I just want to begin with having a little bit of that conversation of um, getting clear on terms and what we mean by this, this word that um, is so meta and so um, can be so vague and can be so evocative and powerful. So, yeah. So for me, my, my understanding of consciousness um, comes from a lot of, a lot of study and a lot of practice and um, very much from one of my main spiritual teachers, Ramdas, where his, his um, main phrase that he repeated for the last decade or so of his life is loving awareness. I am loving awareness. And that consciousness is loving awareness, that the soul is loving awareness. And um, that's, that's my understanding of consciousness is um, kind of the interplay of um, the heart and the mind of our awareness, our ability to perceive of our our own life, our own patterns, the phenomenal world around us, our mind, um, but to hold it in a way that isn't just um, objectifying it or uh, breaking it down um, with the, the rational mind, that there is a loving awareness aspect of it. Um, and that it's that marriage of those two energies and those two ways of being um, aware of something, conscious of something through through the heart and the mind that uh, that is what consciousness is comprised of. It's, that's just the best um, and, and one of many definitions, I'm sure. But I just, what resonates most is adding in this aspect of loving to the awareness element. And um, it's very easy for me to look at consciousness of awareness and, and forget the loving piece and or have an opportunity to re-remember the loving piece. So to me, it's, it is like just these continual higher levels of awareness. And I would imagine that at the highest level is love. Um, so in part of me asking this question and going through this process, 
to be all honest here is like sense making consciousness, like if that's possible, right? The nature of consciousness is probably never landing fully, yeah. um, rather like being in the experience of fully. And in that would be then fully landing without ever having landed. Um, so it's just like a big experiment. And I appreciate you breaking it down, like breaking that word down. Um, everyone, maybe the idea of consciousness is even a new, a new word, right? If you're listening to this and you're like, I've never really thought much about consciousness, right? As like a thing. It's just like, oh, conscious or unconscious. Like when I got knocked out in soccer, I was unconscious and now I'm conscious. Like, you know, the idea of consciousness that I'm speaking of goes beyond like you having a heartbeat. It it truly is in that awareness of being. Uh, So I hope that, that we're landing somewhere in that definition right now. I think we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also want to say that, um, you know, in the world of people who identify as conscious beings, you know, like there's a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of lingo out there, you know, of like conscious creators and, you know, there's like the conscious city guide and there's like consciousness is, you know, like becoming like a buzzword. So hot right um, now. Yeah. It's so hot right now. Even it's even on the Lilo life show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and what I'm noticing is that, yeah, I think when people get stuck on the, um, when they focus zero in on the awareness piece, it's like, it's like, oh, I, um, like, for example, um, my partner and I, we created a, um, like really comprehensive guide to allow people to like really uh, bring themselves into full health. Um, and it has, you know, yoga exercises, stretching mobility, um, strength training, all of these things that you can do in your own home at your own pace directed by yourself. Um, cause we really want to empower people to be as healthy as they can. Um, and one of the things that we created within that is, um, what we called the conscious eating guide. Mm-hmm. And, um, because it's not just like a guide to weight loss. Although if your goal is weight loss, you can have that. It's not just a guide to, you know, healthier styles of eating. It just gives you the information. Right. Um, but it's maybe when we, when we apply the term conscious to something, uh, it definitely implies like that there's a high, higher level of awareness, right? Like that there's, um, I'm aware of the impact of, uh, animal agriculture, you know, um, and, you know, just like the psyche of this planet and how, you know, incredibly devastating it is to the health and, and uh, like collective state of this, of this world. And so I'm going to make slightly different choices. Um, but if you're only focusing on your own awareness, you can become judgmental of others for being unaware. You can be um, really like, you can become kind of like a consciousness police, right? Like you can become militant and aggressive about, uh, about your own consciousness and you can judge other people for being less conscious. And to me, that does not register as consciousness. <laughs> that <laughs> registers as... Um, as really old levels of thinking uh, showing up in just new clothes. And when we're committed to really having a balance of loving awareness, and some people can go, you know, in the other direction of just being all love and there's no discernment. And there's just like, it's just like sloppy, sloppy, like everything's love and light kind of way Mm -hmm. of being. And there's no, um, there's no discernment, right? So like, we really, we really need to, constantly be checking ourselves and seeing where we're landing on that, that spectrum. 
and if we're even on the spectrum of, you know, loving and awareness at all, because I find myself having days where I'm just in a really bad mood and I'm neither loving nor aware of what's going on around <laughs> me. Um, but it's the amazing thing about consciousness is that um, it's just a breath away. It's just mm. a moment away. All you have to do is cultivate a practice of, of, of cultivating loving awareness and um, what Ramdas taught, which I found so incredibly helpful over the last couple of years, is literally just letting that be your mantra. Just, I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. That's like the only thing he taught <laughs> for the last many years. And um, it's absolutely simple and absolutely transformative. And I guess my answer to your question of how to integrate it into the modern world is to begin with ourselves, to begin with our own integrity and being in integrity with whatever it is that we say we are, we hold as our values, which for me includes loving awareness. And it includes creating a world that has less suffering and it includes creating a world that has a higher level of emotional intelligence. And it includes supporting humanity, becoming more aware of the rhythms of nature, which includes um, the rhythms of this, of this planet and also of the cosmos. Um, and applying those, those principles to every aspect of our being and becoming conscious of what it is that is keeping us from living in what um, Charles Eisenstein, one of my favorite thinkers of the modern time, he calls the more beautiful our world, our hearts know it is possible. Like what is it that's keeping us from living and embodying and bringing forward the more beautiful world my heart knows is possible? Like not as a future goal, but right now. And when I'm when I'm aware both of like how my inner state is a reflection of the outer world and I'm seeking to harmonize all of those things at the same time, that's, that's how I bring consciousness into, into the, the modern world, into my everyday life, into this moment right now. Yeah. God, this question, what is keeping me from, Sorry, I wrote it down and I can't read my writing. What is keeping me from embodying? Did you was the first word being? Um Yeah, I mean being, embodying, um yeah, where, worth where, any of it. <laughs> yeah, what my heart knows to be possible. Like yeah, the the more beautiful world my heart knows is possible. That's the that's the Charles Eisenstein phrase. That's the title of one of his books. It's um it's like the most beautiful sentence I think that has ever been written in the English language, the most beautiful phrase, I think. Yeah. And this is like at the heart of this conversation, each of us has an opportunity to go inside. Now, when you go inside, there's all these programs and layers that have become filters to our view of the world. And so when you go inside, like maybe they're sort of checked at the door or not, right? Maybe they're Mm -hmm. there like loud and clear. Um, and and to the extent that they're there loud and clear could prevent the fullness of this vision being able to come through 
right? But no matter where it is, like on some level it's coming through and the more and more and more you do this and go inside and like consider this question and have this vision, the more clear it comes through, the more these stories and experience and filters start to fade away, possibility becomes more and more and more clear. And like, that's where, you know, I, I imagine and believe that true transformation collectively occurs. And like right now where we're in a environment of a lot of noise and distraction, yeah. it's like, oh God, like, what do I do? And it's like, you do the same thing you were doing six months ago. <laughs> like you well, go back- ideally, if- if, if what you were doing six months ago was actually serving, right, right, like yes. for a lot of people, they're waking up to the fact that that they were leading lives that were not meaningful to them, mm-hmm. that they were living that you know, like a lot of people who whose home that they you know were paying rent in was the, only the place where they slept, and not a place where they like were able to fully you know embody and inhabit like their values and their. Uh, the way that they actually want to live, people, you know, people are discovering right now, like what, what they've set themselves up for in lives. And I'm speaking obviously of those of us who have like the privilege of choice in the way that we live our lives. But um, yeah, a lot of people are are discovering like, oh, maybe, maybe I want to do something different. Maybe I want to compost. Maybe I want to garden. Maybe I want to make better choices for my health because my immune system was not weak, was not strong to begin with. You know, maybe I want to be, know who my neighbors are so that we can take care of and support and protect one another. Like people are, people are, you know, waking up to what, what wasn't working before. And also, um, hopefully as you're saying, like, uh, remembering what it was that was working, that was serving them and returning to those practices. Um, yeah. And and to be more clear, like that exactly is like for me personally going back and like doing what I was doing six months ago is like being clear on this vision and this world vision of what's possible. Uh, I can't speak for everyone about going back six months ago, (laughs) but, uh, when you were talking about judgmental and militant in terms of like how sometimes consciousness can become one of the words that came up was exclusive for me. Yeah. And it's like this air, like this level of, of exclusivity that's become this very, um, like privileged experience, right? Like, you know, consciousness is only accessible to dot, dot, dot. And, you know, one of the things that feels really important is to make very clear that this is accessible to all. And like, that's probably the one big, big, big belief that has the ability to shift around, like, let's start there. We're like, this is accessible to everyone. And the power then that comes with that in terms of each person, like stepping into their sovereignty and being able to understand that this, this thought form is accessible to them. And I know specifically when you said privilege of choice a few moments ago, what you were talking about, right? Like, you know, you have to live where you're living and work where you're working to provide, right? And that's like perpetuating on some level, like the thought that choice is somewhat inaccessible. And I think that some something, again, like I understand the ability for what that I just said to be very privileged. Um, 
And I'm wondering if there's an opportunity where consciousness is acceptable to everyone and choices and like help people get into the driver's seat around both of these things. Although the access point of privilege may have made it seem like for everyone's past, this looked very different, but from this exact second forward can also look very different. Well, and I think, I think that this is where like, consciousness gets equated so often with like lifestyle. Right. So like lifestyle is not all lifestyle choices are accessible to everyone. Like Mm -hmm. literally we live on a planet with finite resources and we live in a culture that was set up to really benefit a tiny group of people and that at the expense of so much of the life on this planet, so many human beings, like we live in a state of very real inequity and to be, (laughs) to seek to be conscious and to, but to bury your head in the sand about like the institutions that we live in and that we participate in is really, um, it would be funny if it wasn't so horrific to me. (laughs) Um, but so like, there's this distinction, right. That where that like, Consciousness is not the same thing as lifestyle choices. (laughs) And uh, consciousness is 100% accessible to everyone. And I would say that mm, I encounter a lot more consciousness um, in places that are surprising, you know, that that don't look like uh, a lot of like, you know, sparkly, beautiful, um, like juice cleansing oriented uh, lifestyle kind of stuff as much as I love a good juice cleanse. Um, you know, my, one of my Tibetan Buddhist teachers, you know, he talks about how like, um, you know, the bus driver is often more likely to be living the life of a bodhisattva than, you know, like, like a wealthy highly educated person who meditates every day because that is a person who's in service and who gets to experience like the whole spectrum of humanity on a day-to-day basis rather than being isolated. And so if we're, if we're talking about consciousness as loving awareness rather than as, you know, only, only consuming, you know, high vibe products, it makes a really, really big difference about how we see the world and, and, where we find value and meaning and sense in the world as well. Well, and there's this thing happening where it's like this pendulum swinging where it's like, you know, oh, like conscious brands. And then it's like, well, the the quote unquote unconscious brand was providing stuff, right? Jobs, housing, resources, whatever to community let's say in this example, uh, was it in ethics or not? Like for this example, let's say it was right. Like somewhat of like a fair wage or whatever, like there was some inherent good, but now we've made this, uh, term consciousness to be, this is good and this is bad. And I think you're so right. And there's like a greater, (laughs) greater conversation at play. And I was literally yesterday doing a math problem. And I was just dividing 330 million by 8 billion just for kicks. And I came out with roughly 4%. And I'm like, just America as a whole is sitting at about 4% of the global population. And the life that I know is, you know, like very, say, privileged American. Like, I don't think my uh, radar for like global experience could be very vast 
because of what I've experienced for 33 years. And so my perspective of the world is somewhat limited, right? I've done like the best that I can with the circumstances I've been given and certainly feel like I uh, experience and perhaps demonstrate like this loving awareness that we're speaking of, but on some level, it's hard for me to make, say, leadership decisions or big calls in a global perspective for humanity uh, just purely because of this, because of this, you know, and maybe even what I've just said is somewhat limited, but I, I was thinking of this yesterday because exactly what we're talking about has been on my mind so much where it's like, there is a whole world, right? And like, yeah, I grew up in America, but there's a whole world. America's 4% of the whole world. Like, you know, so much is revolving around some of the systems that we've put in place. And like, is this the best way we could be doing things? And uh, (laughs) just having some inquiry around that. And the other huge thing that came up for me was like the desire to be in an isolated cabin with like food around and nature around and, and maybe not even isolated, but certainly like living on the land. And um, you know, for me, that feels like that value, like really rooting into what, what do I value? And the question I've been considering is like, how do we all bring our values front and center and hold a vision? And when I say all, like we all, and then like on the individual level, leading to the collective level, do this to up-level the, the experience of humanity, Right. Then the other question is like, does humanity's experience need to be up-leveled, right? Like in being in that contrarian, like asking the opposite, um, right? Like, I don't know. So I threw a lot out there, but yeah. I'd love to hear what's coming up for you. Well, um, the first thing is that I, I think that what you're describing of like recognizing your limited, your limited perspective, um, that's, that's, that's the awakening of humility, in you. And I think that humility is like the most important quality that any of us can cultivate, especially if we're aspiring to be conscious people. Um, Because humility is literally like recognizing that there are things that you don't know. There are things that you can't know. There are things that you can't do. And there's like a I, I don't know, inside of me, there's like an inner relaxation that happens that is such a relief when I step into a place of humility like that. Like I feel so relieved because um, at the same time as I'm aware of my of my limitations, um, not in a place of of self-judgment or self um you know, diminishment or anything, but just like honesty, then at the same time, I become increasingly aware of, of just like what you said, like there are so many people and there are so many organisms and there are so many, so many other ways of being on this planet. And I can be in healthy, positive, loving relationship with all of it. Like I can learn how to um, like, like one of my favorite things to explore, and I know you and I've talked about this in the past, um, is like the, you know, question of like alternative economies and different ways of distributing, um, value on this planet. 
and like the greatest, the greatest teacher for that, in my opinion, is mycelium in the soil, which is like this incredible decentralized network that allows the trees and the forests and everything to grow. It allows what is needs to decompose to decompose. It brings all of those molecules into things that are growing. It uh, there's like this incredible intelligence in in the soil in mycelium, which is for anyone who's not familiar with it, it's the um, kind of like the the root structure of mushrooms, um, and it's what ha- makes everything on life possible. Um, it also looks similar to say neural pathways. Neural pathways, also the structure of the internet, also the structure of dark matter. <laughs> it's like it's the it's like the, it's like a core source pattern of, um, life in the cosmos and certainly life on earth and certainly the human capacity to think and which is like, and to cognate and to have the potential for consciousness, uh, because of, you know, neural pathways and everything. And so like, I have humility, which has like the origin (laughs) the same origins of the word humus, which is soil, right? I have humility enough like to humble myself, to receive lessons from other people, from other organisms, from other life forms. And like that, like I can't imagine claiming consciousness without having gone in those directions of like expanding my own consciousness to include even just like a sliver of a fraction of the intelligence of the natural world all around me. Um, Something that's coming up for me when I was younger, you know, I grew up in the church and I would sometimes picture like kind of like a little kid in Africa that might not be Christian. I don't know why this was what I pictured, but I was just like, why wouldn't they be loved? (laughs) And this was like my, my interpretation of like my experience of religion at whatever time this this thought was coming to me. Like, why, like, why is there, this was more of it. Like, why is there anything that's wrong with them that they might not have like been exposed to uh, this idea? Right. And similarly, it's like their life experience is just as great as mine. Right. And when I say great, I'm not like, as awesome. And like, Oh my God, amazing. But it's just like, they're a human. I'm a human. I, I, I'm often in binary, right? So I'm like, we're the same. Like, great. We're both one. We're, we're like, when I say one, I mean, in a binary, like we're both a one. <laughs> and like, you know, sometimes I just maybe look at a lot of things that way, but then you have all these uh, supporting evidences against in this example that like, no, like you're this because of this and they're that because of that. So it's, it's not the same. And it's like, no, no, no. Like humanity, don't you get it? Like we are the same. No, 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 no. You don't get it. You're not the same. And it's this like back and forth of the same, not the same. And, um, that's what was coming up aside from the fact that when you say soil and mycelium, I feel like a little girl that hears penis. I'm like, Oh my God, she just <laughs> said soil. 
So you have to excuse but what me. What do you mean you're super excited, right? <laughs> so fired up. Yeah. Or like just get, you know, like giddy, I guess is more, yeah. more. But anyway, that's a thought that's coming up because like in this extreme inequality and connecting back to a decentralized or just a different expression of value, um, at this point, like it has to be globally. Like, you know, right now it's like this deglobalization. It's like, really? Like deglobalization? Like, I don't know, unless you're killing the internet. Like, I don't know if that's happening. Um, and I think there is a healthy expression of globalization unity that is available to us as we move through a very disjointed time. Yeah, it's 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 tricky because I think that... Um, especially those of us who, you know, like we live in America, we have a lot of, a lot of privileges, a lot of, um, you know, specific circumstances that, um, you know, actually be quite unrelatable. (laughs) Well, yeah. And, um, well, I just lost that train of thought because there's, there's something else that, um, that I'd like to express that has to do with that, that question of like, you know, are we the same or not the same? And, um, what I find really helpful is, um, something again from one of my Tibetan Buddhist teachers, um, which is, which is that we really have to be able, we have to be mature enough, um, all of us in our minds and in our capacity to think, to be able to hold, um, both absolute truth and relative truth at the same time. Mm. And to allow, to allow absolute truth and relative truth to, um, both inform the choices that we make, the language that we use, the way we treat one another. And from my perspective, like the ultimate truth is that, is that, you know, we all are one that, that we are, um, that we're the same and that we are all like temporary, beautiful expressions of like the universe pulsing and breathing and making meaning within itself. And that there certainly is no hierarchy. There certainly is no, um, no like ultimate difference. But the relative truth is that I and everyone else on this planet is grappling with the fact that we live in a world that was and continues to be like deeply traumatized by like settler colonialism and white supremacy and like extractive, like an extractive um, degenerative approach to existence. And like, because of that, um, my worldview, because of who I am and the body I was born into, the life that I was born into is, is by so many different metrics, uh, and so many different perspectives going to be seen as entirely different from, you know, someone born on another continent, um, under completely different circumstances. And, um, again, it can be, it can be diminishing of the, both the like responsibility, um, the responsibility that we have to contribute to healing 
like if we just, if we just immediately go to that absolute place, mm-hmm. like that, that in my opinion is spiritual bypassing. Like and we're all this, we're all one. So we're good. So we're good. Yeah. Like, why don't you just cheer up? Right. <laughs> like, so like AKA danger, a dangerous space to operate from. It, very dangerous. And so there's like inherent ignorance in that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not consciousness. Right. Like, like people think like that, like, oh yeah, like we're all one. Like I'm so conscious of the fact that like I woke up, you know, maybe I had a psychedelic experience. Maybe I had a mystical experience. Maybe I read some books and like, I see that we're all one. So like, what's the big deal? We're one human family. Right. And that's incredibly like, that's violent in a lot of instances. It doesn't feel violent to the person saying it. And the person saying it, you know, usually can't even conceive of the fact that that could be violent. But, um, if it, if, if the way that we speak and the way that we think and the way we operate bypasses and ignores systems of violence and oppression that unfortunately we, we all inherited being, being born on earth at this time, then like anything that's not conscious of that setup and seeking from a place of love to undo it, even though there's, you know, there's no clear answers exactly of how to undo it. Everyone's going to have a different strategy, a different approach. But if we were all, if we were all conscious of this strange web that we were all born into this incredibly interconnected world that, you know, like globalism is, like you said, it's a reality and, and it's, a lot of people, you know, like will argue, you know, whether it's good or bad, whether it's, you know, like, you know, some people are huge advocates for, you know, globalism and for a global economy. And, um, a lot of people are, you know, incredibly critical of it. Um, but then, you know, you get like caught in a tug of war of, is it good or is it bad? Is it right? Or is it wrong? Instead of like, okay, well, this is the situation we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Where can we go from here? And how can we, how can we right the wrongs? How can we work with everything that's existed? How can we learn meaningful lessons from what has worked, what hasn't worked, what, you know, when certain, when certain projects were attempted through human history, what was it that squashed them down, that drained them of resources, that made it impossible for them to succeed? How can we make sure that, you know, distribution of resources is more equitable? How can we make sure that we live in a world that has actual justice? Like all of these kinds of things, like these are, these are questions of, of consciousness and they're like really juicy places that we can all, like everyone is capable of, I believe, of playing in a space of of possibility. And I think that like, if every single person on this planet woke up, became conscious of, of the state of the world and there, everybody's going to be conscious of different things. Somebody's going to need to focus on soil systems. Somebody's going to need to focus on the prison system. Somebody's going to need to focus on hunger. But a lot of people are going to focus on a lot of things at once. You and I, Linda, are both like definitely generalists, you know, mm-hmm. like we, we pull from so many different areas of, of understanding to inform the way that we, the way that we move in the world and the way that we're kind of constantly in a process of self reflection and asking ourselves, like, how can we, how can I best serve the awakening of the planet? Like, that's something that drives both of us. and if everyone was asking themselves questions like that, 
and everyone was supporting one another in stepping into like what is uniquely ours to do, then I believe that we would be able to like heal the world tremendously, really fucking fast. Yeah. I I'm like laughing because I led a meditation at 1150 that literally my phone died in the middle of. And so when I came out of leading it, my phone was off and I was like in so deep. And I literally was like talking about dreaming bigger. And I said, pick one thing. And it was to visualize what's possible in that one thing without the, for a moment, right? Like checking the experiences, the lenses, all of the things at the door for a moment, expanding into possibility and uh, seeing what, what what that would be, right? And like doing that internal visualization. And yeah. it, it to me lands exactly where like on this collective, like I can't even imagine like the thought, I mean, I can't imagine it, but, but it is quite overwhelming to consider like what would be possible. And it's literally like taking, I don't know the exact number of, say 8.2 billion people and every single one of them having their little thing, right? And it's like making their little move, but with this beautiful like mycelium interweb of, of humanity where it's just like, I, I don't know. I just picture this like shape shifting that's so like elegant and graceful and beautiful and like uh, this moving of that. And it's like um, with localization and globalization being able to exist at the same time, like, mm-hmm. yes. Right. Like to me, that is a yes. And, but it's like from this conscious questioning space of if I'm doing this locally, like the ripple effect of that globally and on and on and on. Yeah. So there's actually, um, there's a really cool resource that, um, if anyone's like really vibing with this conversation and certainly you, Linda, I, I would recommend, um, uh, it's a book called walk out, walk on. And it, um, is written by Meg Wheatley and someone else, I forget her name right now. Um, but it's, uh, it's from the Burkana Institute, which has like a very specific theory of change of like how change ha- can happen on this planet, the kind of change that we're talking about. And, uh, the book itself, um, focuses on, I believe seven different communities around the world who are doing really, really amazing stuff, totally grassroots, totally, uh, sourced from place, exactly what you're talking about. Every person learning and, and, and acting and, um, you know, uh, growing from, from their own unique, uh, longings and curiosities and capacities. Um, and what they, the term that they use, because like the term global has taken on such a, like, um, you know, neoliberal kind of vibe to it. Um, the term that they use is translocal. Hmm. And so, and because all of these communities are in some way linked to one another and people, you know, people who go, who spend time in the one in, in, in India and like learn a really amazing skill at this really cool school in India that's featured in there, you know, they might come to Mexico, um, where there's this, another really amazing project in Mexico, um, and kind of like weave them together. And then maybe inspire, maybe travel somewhere else and inspire uh, the creation of of something like one of those communities, but in its own unique um, way that is sourced from place that is totally unique to the place that it came from. Um, you know, maybe in their hometown, maybe solving a problem that their hometown has been has been suffering from. And that's also the that's also the model of um, the transition town network, which started in. Um, 
in a town called Totnes in the south of England, um, which is a model. It's like a framework for towns to transition into um, into the future in a good way. And the mm. main the main areas of focus are to be uh, to increase food security, so that the town could ideally become food sovereign. And no one in the town would have to go hungry. And if supply chains got uh, messed up, you know, imagine that. I'd imagine supply chains being disrupted on the planet. <laughs> like it was inconceivable a couple of months ago. And you don't say. Very, very imaginable. It's, it's happening. Right. Um, you know, so to, to transition into a place of, of food sovereignty um, and then to um, become uh, less reliant on um, petroleum. Mm-hmm. and then also to um, become more carbon neutral. Um, and so like, those are the three guiding principles of the transition town model. But every single transition town, and there are thousands around the planet, all have developed different strategies that make sense for you know, who is interested in being a part of this and what it is that they want to do and how they want to implement um, and, and problem solve uh, in unique ways. And like... It's just amazing how people's how people come alive, and how like the how towns come alive, and how um, like depression rates go down. People have a deeper sense of meaning and purpose. Like all these things that contribute to depression and loneliness suddenly um, stop to even be be a factor when you're involved in a project like that. And I think that you know in our world we tend to pathologize. Um, like depress, you know, like depression, we see as just like a mental illness, and we don't see it as something that we are like collectively responsible for, and we don't see that depression is like a natural response to living in a world that is so out of whack and feeling so as incredibly disempowered as we are all led to believe that we are it, within this world, like to be depressed is a really natural response to the setup that so many of us have inherited. Um, but it's not necessary. And we, we can completely come alive to ourselves, to our own gifts. We can share our gifts with others. We can problem solve. Um, and all of this comes from, you know, this source, this, the courage that it takes to look at the world with loving awareness, to not hide away, to not close your heart off, to not close your minds, to not put, you know, blinders on, but to really say to the world, Hey, I'm here. I'm willing. I'm willing to know you. I'm willing to be a participant in this life and I'm willing to be transformed by it. Yeah. And I think like in the awarenesses, like I'm thinking back to a very specific moment during the time I was working in finance and really like exploring impact investing. And I went to a conference where I learned about like the industry of private prisons for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was just like disturbingly shocked. Like, I don't know what rock I had been living under, you know, but my life path, like brought me to this first moment of, of hearing and learning and understanding. And I was like, oh my goodness. And like, in that, it shifted my understanding of certainly America in a big way. And this is one of these unfoldings 
of just like being more aware, being more aware, being more aware. It's like, you know, I'm working on a project last fall and I Google, you know, biggest employers in the world and the top four are defense companies. And I'm like, wait a second, like, why? This is, why would that be the top four? And again, like what rock was I living under? But that's the way like I found out and, and it all lined up. And it's like each little bit of information becoming more and more aware of there's certainly gotta be a better way than this, these cycles that are just continuously ingrained and we continue on and we continue on and we continue on. And my point is like the looking away is just as much of like the responsibility at at a certain point, like that's a decision to look away just as much as doing something is. And and it can be really overwhelming where it's like, okay, like I come into that information and, and this is something that I continually like go through and experience, but it's like, what's my role in this? Like, am I in the front lines of like dismantling like the private prison system? Like I'm not. And you know, is that my thing to, to, to dismantle. Like it, I don't think so, but it's certainly like the awareness and like the understanding of, of, of our criminal system in a totally different way. And like a compassion and awareness to, uh, mental health, oppression, like racism, all these things that before that I had no idea. I really, I really like couldn't fully, and I still, I by no means say I can fully understand right now, but I think in that, in that example, there's awareness that there is like a loving awareness that comes up that there's then like this natural sense making of like, oh, like I just got a few things to like a little more than I ever could have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I just want to say that like the, the, prison industrial system, the racism, everything, like all of these, all of these incredibly messed up systems, um, they depend upon the, you know, like if, if everyone, if everyone who benefits from that system, like I do and like you do, and like so many of us do, um, from all of these like intersecting, you know, systems of oppression, uh, even in subtle ways, you know, if all of us who benefited from them actually, actually understood, not just like, not just if we were taught about it in school, but if we actually had even just like a fraction of like an embodied understanding of what is going on in this world, what is going on often in our counties, what is going on like around the corner from where we live to human beings, to ecosystems, to animals, to like, you know, our fellow countrymen, you know, like if we actually could wrap our heads around it and not just our heads, but our hearts and feel some of the horror of all of that in our bodies, we would, I believe, like figure out how to organize and collectively dismantle these systems. But they depend upon our ignorance and they depend upon our silence. And so like just the fact that we're having this conversation is like a starting point at least because it's it's a conversation between the two of us. We're bringing it into our awareness from a place of like being in love with life, being in love with this earth, being in love with humanity and wanting the suffering to be diminished. And, you know, then this is also going to be reaching other people and 
whoever's listening to this, like, like allow yourself, like if you're noticing yourself kind of like tensing up and maybe even wanting to not listen to this conversation, just like observe that and have some, have some loving awareness for your own, your own being, your own reactions. Understand that like, that, that it's natural to not want to dive into these places, but that it's absolutely essential that we do. And, and from that place of like, of witnessing and being patient and loving with our own minds, then we can become stronger in our capacity to hold more. And from holding more, we can begin to figure out how we want to respond, how we want to live our lives, what kind of a world we want to exist in and build for ourselves, for people who are alive right now and for future generations. Mm -hmm. Um, The speaker was Brian Stevenson, by the way, author of Just Mercy. And, uh, you know, when you're going to an impact investing session, like, and then all of a sudden pivoting and do the industry of private prisons, like that experience in itself of like, literally like shadowing a construct of like, this is impact investing. It's like, it's not just like the quote unquote environment, like as someone that is experiencing environment from say land perspective, land protection, right? Like environment being everything and like the industry of private prisons very much affecting environment just as one, right? There's social implications of this. Um, that, That itself was quite, eye-opening of understanding like we're often just seeing the tip of the iceberg and there's just so 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 much more yeah well Um, they're all connected like like environmental issues cannot be separated from social issues mm -hmm. it's not possible and just as humans like we we often talk about like human stuff and then like nature stuff as if you're a part of nature and like there's a lot, there's, it's beyond the scope of this conversation, but, um, I guess I was, this thought came to my mind at the very beginning of the conversation, which is just that, like how much consciousness has to do with unlearning, mm. and especially unlearning, um, unlearning judgments, unlearning beliefs, unlearning, um, the idea of separation. And I think that that, that is like the thing at the, at the, at the root of, of all of it is, um, is unlearning separation, recognizing that separation is an illusion. And that doesn't mean that we're all one and everything's fine immediately, but, but that my being is inextricable from the being of everything else in this universe. And that gives me, it's like, it's such a blessing and it's such a responsibility. And Again, though, it's like, you know, we're talking about, about external, about, you know, systems um, that might seem somewhat abstract and massive and external to ourselves. Um, but we have this uh, in my garden here, in my home, we have this big, uh, like, old um, sliding, sliding glass door uh, that somebody we rescued from the, the landfill and we had um, this glass etcher etch this line from um, Stanley Kunitz, which I love so much. And it says, 
The universe is a continuous web. Touch it at any point and the whole web quivers. And so what I take from that is remembering that I am a part of that web and that how I tend to my own soul, to my own mind, to my body, to my consciousness, to my speech, my language, my choices has an absolute effect on the whole. And um, somebody actually, I, I just was reminded of this, this vision that I had. Um, someone asked me a question about consciousness a couple of months ago and I, I closed my eyes and I saw kind of like this vast, deep, dark, empty space. And then I saw one um, like little sphere light up. And that was like the moment of like consciousness lighting up in one being. And it's like when you, um, it's like when you uh, like put a, a droplet on a um, spider web that you couldn't otherwise see. And then like the, the water kind of um, spreads to other webs, to other parts of the web. You know, mm -hmm. I, I saw the light do that, like extend on the web and it just like lit up parts of a web. And then somewhere else, far away, a light went on, a little sphere of light went on, someone else became conscious and that lit up threads of the web further. And, and as different lit up threads came closer to one another, uh, other little, little spheres lit up and, you know, and slowly and gradually, um, and magnificently, like everything was full of this brilliant glowing light. And I can't have control over another person's consciousness. You know, like I, if people, when people come to me, like I, I have clients, I work with people, I help them cultivate their own consciousness, but they are the authorities. Like they are the people in charge of their own, their own way of being in the world. But I have to take responsibility for, for my own. That's the only thing I can control. The only thing I can control is my choices and my life and my own mind. But from that, from what I choose to cultivate inside of myself, my entire, the entire universe can change. And that's not from a place of arrogance, but from, from a place of humility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Th this is like, I feel like a amazing landing space of like the full circle. And one of the questions that I feel like you inadvertently answered was like, right. We have what feels like a systems breakdown <laughs> Of, of every system, what do we do, right? And I feel like you just answered it. Yeah. Because, it, and, and what you brought real awareness for me around regenerative, mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe it's not a full systems breakdown, right? It's like a regenerative approach to the systems. Yeah. Uh, and that that's led me to understand like a different, a different idea of what's possible. Because when I say systems break down, like immediately that can feel extremely like disempowering and overwhelming. And, um, I noticed this energy that shows up in these systems change that can be 
uh, very defeatist, very angry, very like the struggle oriented. And I noticed within myself and like my own personal leadership that this is something that's actually pretty confusing for me um, because it's like, I want to help quote unquote, I want to help, but it's like that approach seems so far from like the way I would want to help. <laughs> and like, then I disassociate with that avenue. And, um, you know, I'm being quite general in, in what I just said, but I think you can understand the gist. And for myself, it's like still leaning into and exploring like what other avenues and approaches and, uh, self-inquiry, connecting, right? I mean, some of the things, and, and you've been just an amazing friend and teacher for me, introducing me to, you know, I sometimes think I'm so cutting edge. And then I talk to Ganga and like the ultimate wordsmith and like who, whatever else is happening. And I feel so blessed in that because like even uh, sense-making, like this idea of sense-making, I feel like has forever changed my life and introduced me to stoicism like putting uh, words to things I didn't fully understand language yeah. to. And um, anyway, I kind of went a few different places there, but uh, the point being that there's opportunity and possibility that can be tapped into for each of us. Um, there is so much still that we haven't even begun to, to, to do and go and, um, even understand. And like, I think as each of us are doing that and then the snapping in of the connecting with of, of all of that, like, it's almost like I see the grid you were just explaining actually happening like somewhat simultaneously. And it's like, we're all like tending to our consciousness and then like snap. And I don't mean that in a way of like, and everything's better. Um, I think that gets back into like the bypass territory. Yeah, but, but I think, sorry. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, but the, like the, uh, the, the doing of the work and like these, these whispers of connection, these connections, like conversations like this, like this conversation, turning on light bulbs, like that inspiring a different level of a conversation for someone else that then does that for someone else. Like that, like, and then the next thing, you know, a month later, like, there's been an upgrade. Right. And, and like that just happening and happening and happening. Like I actually feel often like very little fear collectively because of this exact sediment. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say like, and I don't have any responsibility, just like I'm going to ride the wave and everything's going to be great. It's like the opposite. It's like through this work, the inquiry, and then the connection that, um, the shifts are happening. Yeah. I think that one of the ways that people can kind of like, one of the ways that at least for me, and I know that it's true for other people that you, that you kind of get confirmation that you're, that you're doing it, <laughs> that you're on the path <laughs> is, um, is like the increase in synchronicity mm. in, in your life of just like, oh my gosh, like the timing of that was so perfect. Or like, oh, I couldn't believe I, I was just thinking about this one person and, um, you know, holding them in my heart. And then I just ran into them or they called me, um, you know, I mean, so many things and my life, um, I still have like days that are struggle, you know, and challenging, but the more and more I lean into, uh, what I believe is, you know, what I'm here on earth to do, the more and more I, um, surrender to 
you know, the practice of loving awareness and that, and, you know, in a way that requires courage and that is difficult sometimes, um, the more I'm just completely affirmed by the the presence of the miraculous in my life, in my everyday life. It's, I have this experience of grace that, um, has become pretty, pretty normal for me that, um, I just really wish everyone on the planet could experience. And I know it's possible for everyone. And that's like, it's so like when you, when you step into a place of consciousness, not that it's like, it's a one and done thing, you know, it's a constant practice, but when you're in that, in that space, it's just like you said, it's not like, Oh, suddenly everything's better, but it's every single next step reveals itself to you. Mm. And you can feel into your body and um, some of the systems that I, that I work with, with my clients, like really can help. Each person has like a different setup for their own intuition and you can feel into different parts of your body and your emotions to um, access what is specifically right for you. Everybody's slightly different. Um, but when you, when you know how to connect with your own inner authority uh, and you know how to respond to what the world presents to you, then it's just like, it's not like one single snap, everything's good, but it's like every single step becomes completely effortless and clear and graceful to you. And, um, and the blessings flow and the support systems flow and you have more energy and you're more rested and you're not doing the things that you're not supposed to be doing. So you have all the resources to do the things that you are supposed to be doing. And, um, you really begin to, uh, like dance beautifully with the universe and with the rest of humanity. And, um, you become a more trustworthy person and you find yourself trusting more as well in the world around you. And, um, it's just, it's really nice. (laughs) And I, I, that's like when I say that, like, you know, if everyone was doing what is theirs to do, if everyone was stepping into, you know, consciousness and into loving awareness, um, in their own, in their own way, in their own manifestation, like that everything would get done. It's because like, I see this happening. I see the synchronicities unfolding for so many people around me and the increased joy mm. that, you know, my clients feel and the increased sense of clarity and purpose. Like it's just, it's just awesome. It's really awesome. And it's really possible and it's totally accessible. Like it's like, it's accessible. All you have to do is practice loving awareness and follow those, the threads that, present themselves to you from that place. And if you notice something in yourself that isn't being loving, don't judge that. Don't reject it. Don't be like, oh, I'm going to eradicate this part of my ego. Just love that until it doesn't have such a strong hold over you any longer. Like Ramdas, people, I, I was one time, I was at a retreat and somebody was asking him about, um, about their anger that they feel uh, mm-hmm. towards someone in their life and, um, or maybe somebody politically, I don't know. Um, and they were, they were talking about their anger and like what to do with their anger. Cause they were like, they were like, my anger is the thing that's getting in the way of my spiritual life. And my anger is, you know, all of this stuff. And Ramdas's only response to that was love it. <laughs> just love it. And they were like, what? But it's my anger. Like it's the bad guy. 
yeah, and the person I make at is also the bad guy. And he's just yeah. like, just all of it until oh. it's not fucking you up so much. <laughs> yeah. This is like, it, it's so weird, like weirdly serendipitous or synchronous. But uh, when this all started happening with the pandemic, I was like, Ah, uh, like this could be hard. And I was like, I gotta love the hard stuff. And it was I it's been such an odd experience for me because I'm getting these like really, really powerful short messages, like really fast, like one to three months before I'm having to like be in it. <laughs> and I remember when I first like got that message, I'm like, oh, like this is sort of annoying and hard. And then I'd, I'd like catch myself, like observing myself in those exact moments. And then I'm like, it's like almost like touching something you don't want to like, oh, okay, like, here we go. Like, we're going to love this right now. And uh, it's been so interesting to be in that practice because all of a sudden this different understanding opens and like compassion in totally different ways opens. And, the, and then it comes back to me, like judging myself way less or like not judging, right. Being in this deeper compassion, even with myself and, uh, everything you were just sharing really rings true. And as we close here, Ganga, I just want to, number one, thank you uh, for being here. And number two, I wanted to share with our listeners, I had done your incantation, incarnation report, <laughs> um, incantation. <laughs> uh, now I'm incanting everything, but I know my, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I've been incanting it all every day. So the incarnation report, uh, what was it? This was I'm like trying to remember exactly when I had this done. It was this year though. And, uh, and it's interesting because I had gotten like my human design done before. And I had, you know, like had a Vedic astrology report done and you provide such a synthesis of so much. And then the other foreshadowing that's been so fun for me, but I've like come back into Gene Key's work, which like I had been introduced to it through your work, but didn't even really get it. Like I didn't even know really what it was fully. Mm -hmm. And and I still don't, but I um, have the book and I am diving in and just loving it so much and turning on so much within myself through that process. And mm -hmm. if I, I hope this is still an offering that you're doing, I'd love for you to speak to this and anything else that you're offering uh, in some of the work that you're doing. But this was a really powerful tool for me. And, uh, um, you know, I'm thankful for, for the opportunity to have gone through this process with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. And so to, to, um, expand on that a little bit, um, yeah. So the incarnation reports, it's definitely something I'm still doing. Um, they are like 12 plus page documents, um, that like synthesize the systems of, um, natal astrology, um, through the tropical zodiac. Um, human design and which I specifically take an approach of integral human design, which deviates a little bit or expands upon the traditional model of human design, which I find to be a little bit reductive and a little bit limiting in the instructions that it, that it gives to people. Um, and then gene keys, which, uh, is a related system, but is a totally different synthesis. And what I found, you know, over time is in, in just applying these systems to myself and wanting to understand them better. Cause I have a very, um, analytical, uh, mind and I love to synthesize systems and I want to understand what's going on with them. The more I understood them and the more I realized that, um, 
that I think that they need each other. I think that they're a bit incomplete. And I feel like if anyone really wants to understand themselves as a complete being, as an embodied being, as an archetypal being, as a being that is capable of um, sliding along different spectrums of consciousness, um, you need to be able to understand yourself through, through all of those systems, or it's not that you need to, but they're incredibly helpful. And, um, no one else that I know of on the planet is doing this. And so I was like, well, I guess I have to. And that's when I was like, oh, I guess I'm an astrologer now. So hot (laughs) right now. (laughs) So I guess this is me now. Um, and yeah, and what I, what I've been, um, doing, and actually I'm about to raise my rates because I do put, a lot. I put so much time. I, I put so much time into these reports that, and they are stunning, stunning, like aesthetically stunning. Thank you. Yeah. I put a lot of energy into, um, making that, yeah, making sure that the content is reflected in the design, in the graphic design, um, so that the, the transmission of the information for each person is totally unique and totally, um, specific to you. It's a, it's like creating a, an, an analytical piece of artwork that you can return to over and over and over again your whole life. Um, but I put, I put so many hours into it that if I charged, uh, appropriately for the hours that I put into it, it would be completely inaccessible to everyone. Um, but even so I, I do need to raise my rates a little bit. So what I'll do is I'll give you, um, like a code, um, that your listeners can listen to where, um, the price per incarnation report, which right now is, um, it's $300 on, on my website. Um, that will be like grandfathered in for anyone listening to this. Um, and it'll just, I'll just make it Lila life in all caps, uh, to make it really easy. Um, so people can, can access it within that because I, I do want this to be accessible. I know that $300 is still a lot for people, but, um, this is what I'm saying is that like, like if we invest in understanding ourselves and understanding our incarnation, understanding what it is that is uniquely ours to do, which is what I try to you know, convey. And I think I do a pretty good job (laughs) in these reports. Um, then, then everything becomes easier. Everything can become clearer. We can understand ourselves and work with ourselves, um, more and more. And, um, yeah. And so what, a lot of what I do is, um, usually I make the report for people to begin with. And then, um, afterward, um, or even without the report, uh, we can work together as like a kind of like a mentor guide, um, counseling kind of relationship, uh, to work through and integrate the lessons of, of the report of these different systems. Um, you can kind of pick whichever, whichever system resonates most with you, or we can continue with the synthesis of all of them and work together for, you know, a few weeks, for a few months, for a few years, whatever serves you, um, to help you really like rise into that into what it is that is yours to do. Um, and that's, it's just like the greatest honor in my life that I'm able to help people in that way. And that I'm able to, um, yeah, just support people in, in stepping into what it is theirs to do, because I can't do everything that I know the world needs to be done. But what I can do is help other people learn what is theirs to do and, and do it better and better. And like, that's the way that I, interact with that web. Um, and it's, it's such a pleasure and such an honor. It was such a, so like, it was so much fun to do yours. Um, 
And it's also really fun to do them for people who I've never met before, who I don't even know what they look like. Um, and to feel into, um, the beauty and the gifts of what they are capable of, because I never, I've never, there isn't a person alive on this planet that doesn't have incredibly beautiful potential and incredibly beautiful, um, gifts to offer. And I have the amazing privilege of being able to see and work with, um, all of that richness and, and bring it to the foreground forefront of people's lives. It's awesome. Yes. And you, you certainly do You're, uh, uh, making the human mycelium connect at the highest level. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome for that one. Thanks. <laughs> oh. uh, I I need to get some uh I I need to get some like blurbs up on my website. People, I, people say stuff about my work all the time, but I I struggle with um self promotion stuff, and for some reason, like putting uh putting those little uh whatever like blurbs of people saying nice things about me. I've never done that, but but that's something that I'll definitely include. Yeah, and and then if you make a T-shirt that says it, I'll wear it. <laughs> we can also uh, offer those special for our Lila Life listeners. Oh, totally. Gaga, thank you so much. Uh, we'll include all that <laughs> in the show notes and where everyone can find you. And uh, I just want to honor you and appreciate you so much. And thank you. I hope our listeners gleaned some insights and awarenesses that they can integrate into their day. And uh, thank you again, Gaga. Thank you, Linda. So much love. <laughs> <laughs> Check out patreon.com slash Leela Life to show your ongoing support for the show. Thank you so much for being here. Without you, this would really mean nothing. Have a great day.